We're going to turn to John 4 for our, our gospel lesson today as the lectionary takes us here. In John chapter 4. And we're starting at verse 4 of this chapter. Hear God's word. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw, draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will speak everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, 
and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Thus far, the reading from God's holy word. And our gospel reading today is John 4, 5 to 42. And the title of the servant today is Salvation is a Gift. Discipleship requires work. And we'll pray. Lord, we just ask that Christ would be before us and beside us, within us, and we would be extremely conscious and aware that we are in his presence and that he's addressing us today as individuals. We pray that we might respond rightly. We pray that our response would be repentance and faith and knowledge of the Savior and trust upon him and ask that the preaching would be accurate and that your Holy Spirit would come with power. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we were in John chapter 3, where Jesus was sought out by this very uh, high on the status of, of, of Jewish society, uh, Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And so that, that would be as high as you could get in the social status. And now we're at the other end. We're as low as you could go in in terms of the Jewish mind at this point in time uh, regarding when Christ is visiting at the Samaritan village. He's got to go through this area of the country that's known as Samaria. And in doing so, Jesus gives us a preview that the gospel will be for all nations. And at this point, that's not anything people are aware of. At this point, people are thinking that uh, the Son of, of Man has come and to bring redemption for the Jewish people. But now we see that salvation has come into a Samaritan village. And the text says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, he could have gone around it. What did it mean that he had to go through Samaria? Was there, a, uh, this would be a shorter route, of course. And was there a, a, a time concern? Or most probably, it was the idea that in God's plan, he had to go through Samaria, where a lot of people would have avoided. And some, even some areas of our country, people avoid certain areas. Well, the Jewish people would have avoided this area of Samaria, which would have been in the area just north of the Dead Sea. And we have a history there in Around 722 B.C., before Christ was born, uh, the northern tribes of Israel were conquered. And they were conquered by an army of Assyria. And the king had this idea of deporting people that were of use to him. So if uh, an invading army came in and they, they took, a, took out all the people that they wanted that would be a help to their society. Uh, this is what they did in Assyria. And then they brought in 
their own people. And in 2 Kings 17, you have a list of where these people came from. Some of them came from Babylon. Some of them came from other uh, areas close by there. And they brought their own gods with them. Uh, they were intermarrying then, uh, the people that were here with unbelievers. And what came about was a mongrel religion. Uh, it, the Samaritans, they believed in the first five books of Moses, but they didn't go on to read about the Psalms, you know, like, you know, where you need to come and worship in Zion and, and, and the lifting up of Mount Zion is a place of worship. Well, the Samaritans had their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And this is part of the discussion that you need to have for historical background because the Jewish people really looked down on the Samaritans for these reasons. They were, they were not uh, totally part of the Jewish ancestry and they didn't have a, a, a religion that accepted all the books of the Old Testament. And, and so they, they really looked down. In fact, one of the slurs that the people call Jesus in, in John chapter eight that are opposed to him in Jerusalem, they call him a Samaritan as one of the racial slurs that they give him. Now, Jesus comes to this town of Sychar in the place of Samaria, and just outside of town there's a well, and it's known as Jacob's well because it was dug during his time. And Jesus sat down by this well, and he's tired from the journey the disciples go to buy food. Why? Because they're the disciples. They're the learners. They take care of the master. The master is sitting down by the well, and they go to town to buy food. And it's not very far away. The well's close to the town and so forth, but apparently the town doesn't surround the well. And uh, it's about the sixth hour. So in other words, it's about noon, and that would be a very warm part of the day. And a Samaritan woman comes to draw water. And this would be, I know it's hard to imagine, but in that culture at that time, that's what women did. They carried the water. They drew the water. In fact, one of the signs in Mark's gospel of the person they need to contact for the upper room for the Passover, they're there to look for a man carrying a water jar uh, because, you know, they wouldn't have a woman at the house to carry it, right? Uh, so anyway, here's the Samaritan woman. She comes with her water vessel, and Jesus asks her for a drink when she came to draw water. Now, this is unusual that she's by herself because in those days, and still today, I notice it from my male point of view, that in certain areas at certain times that women like to travel together. They don't like to go off by themselves. And this would be the case here with the uh, Samaritan ladies in this town. This woman was all by herself, and the time to draw water would have been the early morning when it wasn't hot, and she comes at noon because she doesn't have any friends, and she's by herself, and Jesus starts the conversation. He's sitting by the well. She comes with her, her uh, water vessel to draw the water, and she, he says to her, will you give me a drink? He starts the conversation with this ostracized woman. She isn't part of the, the society there, so to speak. 
Now, no biblical commands are violated, but human custom is violated here because her response is that she is shocked. She says to him, Will you, she said, he said, will you give me to drink? His disciples had gone into town. He's there all by himself. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This would also be shocking to the disciples when they come back, and they're just finishing up the conversation. And the disciples look at this situation, and uh, they, they don't get it. Uh, no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? No one asked because, well, they're the disciples. You don't question the master. Uh, but they were thinking it in their mind. What, what, what's going on here? But So no biblical commands are violated, but this is not what, you, what they would expect in that culture. Uh, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. And his response to her in terms of her being questioning him is like, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew who Jesus was, now she, she didn't know, but if, if, if she knew, if we knew, you would ask him, you would ask him. And so this, as we read it, now this, this comes into focus for us is that, you know, do we know who Jesus is? Have we asked him? And so what he's talking about here is, of course, God's salvation. How God is going to save sinners. He's going to do it through the cross. And salvation is presented as a gift again and again and again in the Bible. All right? You have to understand that. Here again, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus pictures God's salvation as living water. It's the best kind. It's not, it's not water from a well. It's, it's, it's living water. Uh, at the end of the scriptures, in Revelation 21, we have Jesus saying, It is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I'll give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And we have a concluding invitation at the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 17. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, the bride's the church, say, Come. We're in the invitation business. And let him who hears say, come. If you've heard, you want to invite others, you want others to receive. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Salvation is a gift. It comes to us from, to, from Jesus Christ. We have to ask him. But, and if we do, he'll, he'll give to us eternal life. We, we go to him and and. and Understand who he is and how this salvation comes about. Well, he's got her attention now. Uh, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the water's deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you 
greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Well, if you're a water hauler, the thought of somebody giving you living water, never having to thirst, you know, because you're thirsty, you're going to have to keep hauling water. And uh, for many of us, that, that, I, that concept is so, so hard for us to understand. Uh, but I'm old enough to, to know uh, what it was like to actually not have running water in the house uh, in my early years. And so I still get a kick out of the, the water running from a tap. You know, I mean, a lot of people, that's, but, you know, I, I, it's great. You know, I, I appreciate it. But a lot of people, they don't. But here's a lady, she's got to haul this water all the time. And, and Jesus tells her again uh, that whoever drinks this water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to come back, keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. So when the woman asked for this water, Jesus confronts her. He confronts her about her sin. And that's what he does with all of us. That's standard operating procedure. We have to repent. We have to turn from our sin. We have to give ourselves totally to his teaching. And, and so at this point, he says, Okay, he's going to tell her more. Go call your husband. Come back. And she responded, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. When you, when you deal with Jesus, you, you have to tell the truth. And this lady told the truth, but it wasn't everything, but Jesus fills it in for her because if you really experience Jesus, you have this understanding that he knows your story. He, know, he knows you. And as you read the Gospel of John, this is an early disciple. He had that experience. He's like, Lord, how do you know me? You've never met me. But he, he knows us. He, he knew Nicodemus. He knows this woman. And he knows, he knows all about her. And now she's told him, I don't have a husband, so I, I can't respond to what you said. And Jesus said, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband, but you've had five, and now the one you're living with is not your husband. So, yeah, you're, what you've said is, is quite true. Imagine how shocked she was at that point. Now she, now she wants to change the subject because... That's what often happens when we get to the point of seeing our sin. We want to change the subject. And so she brings up the theological question between the Jews and the Samaritans. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, 
You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The question of where to worship, of where God had set up his symbolic presence was clear in the, in the Old Testament scriptures. It was at Jerusalem. And Jesus tells, tells her that the Samaritans have it wrong. They're worshiping what they don't know. Salvation is from the Jews. And, and so he's saying that where the worship of God is symbolically pictured is in Jerusalem. But he goes on to say that the question of where to worship is someday going to be irrelevant. And, you know, I've been to Israel and the Temple Mount, which is a support wall. It's not the temple. It's a support wall of that area. And people go there to pray. It's a regards a holy site. People can put their prayers in the, between the stones. And, 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 you know, some people think it's, it's you know, more the most special place that you can be to pray. But as I understand what Jesus is saying is, it's just as wonderful to pray in Pollock as it is to pray at the Temple Mount support wall, which the temple isn't even there anymore. And Jesus is saying, time is coming when you worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. But the, the point of it is that we have to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the future would be that God would be worshipped everywhere. And our Lord came down from heaven, went to the cross, died in our place, and ascended to heaven. He's with us in spirit. We have the Holy Spirit to help us in worship and our understanding. And also, uh, he puts before us his truth and the word. We must worship in spirit and in truth. We can't go off like the Samaritans and have some idolatry as part of our worship. And so the lady at this point says, okay, I don't know about all that, but I know when the Messiah comes, he's going to explain everything. And then Jesus said to Shocker, he declared, I who speak to you am he. I'm the Messiah. And at this point, it all comes together for her. At this point, she, she gets it. And she goes to town. She leaves her water jar. And the disciples saw her going. And the disciples saw that she was talking to Jesus and that Jesus was talking to her. And they didn't get it. And she goes to witness to the town. And she goes in a very special way. Uh, she goes to town and she leaves her water jar. She goes back to town. She says to the people, the people who don't include her, that don't think she's of much worth, they say, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now, if, you, if she had gone to town and said, I, I just met the Messiah, they would say, if he was really the Messiah, would he have talked to you? That probably wouldn't have happened. 
But she's got just the most perfect testimony. She goes and says, I, I met this man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Christ? And, and they come out of the town, and they're making their way toward, toward him. Now Jesus is teaching his disciples something at this point. Uh, they're urging him, in verse 31, Rabbi, teacher, eat something. I got this food. And he said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples, okay, they don't get it. They say to each other, could someone have brought him food? And Jesus explains, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. So Jesus teaches his disciples, who are believers, he teaches his disciples, teaches us as believers, that we need to be work at work in the harvest field. Jesus needs to eat something in the view of the, of the disciples. They went to town to get the food, and he's obviously very hungry, and this will strengthen him. And his response is, my food is to do uh, the will of God. In other words, he's got something more important going on. He sees these people coming toward him. And, and so he's challenging us here as Christians, as disciples. We're disciples now, this time in church history. That we need to have an outlook for missions. We need to see the fields that are ready for harvest. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? That's a long time to the harvest, right? Four months to the harvest? He said, look, the, the fields are ready wait, with harvest. He's talking about the people that are coming. And he wants us to have a harvest mentality. And we should be able to understand that. We know how farmers are at the harvest time. You know, what's, what's the most important thing? The harvest, right? I think of my two young nephews that were farming, and, and uh, one of them, uh, they were changing a, one was changing a tire with the uh, help of somebody from town and, and uh, on the tractor, and the end result was he had like a broken leg from it. Fell down. His brother comes, picks him up, Says, puts him up, and he goes, you can't be lying down. It's a harvest. Mother nephew flops down on the ground again. I need an ambulance, you know. That's a harvest. You know, that's people driving their trucks down the road like it's, they're, like it's stolen, you know. It's a harvest. Got to get it done. You, you know the mentality. We don't have time to come in for supper. It's a harvest. And so Jesus is challenging us here that we need to have a priority. We, we need to think about the people that are lost, like this Samaritan woman that people have been over, uh, overlooking. In other words, we need to, you need to work in the harvest field. There's stuff to do in the church. There's work, believe me. Well, in Christian history, in around 8400, we have the example of St. Patrick, who was, uh, as far as I understand, was a, was a Brit, uh, he was uh, kidnapped by raiders from Ireland when he was about 16. He had six years as a, 
as a slave until he made his escape and, and uh, went back to his own country aboard a ship. And while he was kidnapped, he was converted, remembering what he had been taught, remembering his Christian upbringing, turning to God in prayer, and God changed his heart. And he was allowed to go home. He, he actually um, ran away as a slave and, and made his way home again. And there he was trained in the scriptures. But then he returned back to Ireland to the people who had kidnapped him. Now, if somebody had done us wrong, we might say, you know, that nuts for them. I, you know, we might even respond with hatred for all the things that had happened. But St. Patrick went back, Patrick went back as a missionary. And he worked in Ireland for 30 years, uh, get, arriving there around 432, worked there for 30 years till he died. And, and God gave him this amazing ministry of where, where it seemed like the whole place was converted. Wonderful example of working in the field, the harvest field, the spiritual harvest field. And, and so we have this picture for us by Jesus. You know, when we think about the message of Christ, we need to keep in mind, there's, we need to believe that there's forgiveness. You know, we can't change people, but God can change people. And so we, we, we believe in forgiveness and grace. God has forgiven us. God, God can forgive some other person that's just impossible too. Because it's not something we generate. It's not a, a change of mind that we come up with. Salvation is a gift of God. And it comes from Jesus. And because this woman went to town and told the Samaritans in that town, they had to go and hear Jesus. And he stayed in that town, which was quite amazing, for two days. And because of his word, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. We, we heard it for ourselves. And we know that this man is the savior of the world. And so that's where we need to be in our thinking as who Jesus is. He's the savior of the world. And now we have a harvest of souls among the most unlikely people, the Samaritans. Unlikely. Who would have guessed? It? But God works in mysterious ways. And so many believed, and they understood that he's the savior of the world. That's what we should be as we read the text, and we need to know who Jesus is. Uh, we, we need to uh, understand, if we really understood that he's the son of God, he's the one that would go to the cross for our sins. If we really know that, we would ask him for a drink. We would ask him for the gift of eternal life. Uh, we would ask him for the free gift of the water of life. And so that's where we need to be, and that should be the, as we look at the message, as the, the gospel today, to say, that happened to me. That's where I'm at. That's who Jesus is to me. He's the one, he's the Savior, offers salvation as living water, and we will receive the gift of salvation. That's a gift. We don't achieve it. And then we need to, as disciples, we need to get to work in the harvest field. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for 
the work of Jesus in this place that people would have sought to avoid, and we thank you for our Savior who can speak to people as he speaks to us in the Word, uh, as we're part of these conversations too, as he's addressing us, we pray that we would regard him as the Savior of the world, that we would have, be people of faith, that we would know that we've received salvation as a gift, and we have the promise of eternal life. We pray this in our Savior's name. Amen.